Welcome to Hanks for the Memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 33, Road to Perdition, from 2002. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And Mike, with us tonight to talk about a movie that I have seemingly heard nothing but... I don't even know how to describe the way that our one guest has... I guess because he's not talking to me, I guess that's why I can't describe it, because I don't actually know what the conversation is. But all I've heard through most of Hanks from the Memories is that our first guest tonight, the foodie films man himself, Mr. Kyle Reinfried, has said to you over and over again, you have to watch this movie. And here we are, finally, years and years later, and you have finally done it. Welcome, Mr. Kyle Reinfried. Hello. Hello. How are you guys doing? Good. Thank you for joining us for this movie that you have uh, been yelling at Mr. Mike Manzi to watch for a long time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I don't know when I first said it to you, how it came up. You want me to just quickly do this real quick? Yeah, please remind me. Once we graduated from college, we got together. We were watching Killing Him Softly, and we were going to do a double feature at Road to Perdition, but it got too late. And so you're like, Mike, watch this movie. Make sure you watch this movie when I'm not here. It was that long ago we're talking? Like, this is almost 10 years ago. And here we are. Killing Them Softly, known for being the movie poster where Brad Pitt is holding a shotgun that was framed next to uh, Lincoln in a lot of movie theaters. I don't know if you've seen that meme, but it basically looks like he's about to shoot Abraham Lincoln. uh, Because those movies were at the same time. So that is what I guess that movie's best known for. Also, that movie rules. With us tonight as well, she's been on a bunch. She will. I feel like we are just getting the beginning of her because we have so many Dan Brown books to cover, plus everyone's favorite novel, The Circle, adapted into everyone's favorite motion picture, The Circle. With us tonight, we have Jess Collins. Hello, Jess. Hey there. How's it going? Welcome back, Montez. I hope all is well in your world, given the state of the world that we are in right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And actually, it's funny you mentioned The Circle. It just popped up that a couple of years ago, around this time, I read The Circle for the first time and wanted to then throw it in a fire. So I can't wait to talk about it. Cool, cool, cool. Well, we are going to get to it at some point. We keep teasing it. I don't know when we're getting to it. Oh, boy, November. We got so much more time teasing so much more runway a runway longer than the one at the end of fast and furious six but with <laughs> us to talk about road to perdition we've got kyle we've got jess mike please if somebody has not seen this movie yet this movie is not available to stream for free anywhere i don't think this is one that i feel like should be out there but it's not so if people do not know road to perdition from 2002 please fill them in on what this is all about yeah so it is uh, 1931 it's the winter of 1931 movie takes place over six weeks Y'all Michael Sullivan's perspective. He is the son of Tom Hanks, who is Michael Sullivan Sr. And Hanks is a button man for the mob. So he works for Paul Newman. And one night, his young son, Michael, sneaks along and sees him uh, do a job, basically. And this sort of rattles the son of Paul Newman, played by none other than Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig sort of puts this hit out on Tom Hanks and his entire family. Hanks and his young son survive. It becomes sort of a real John Wick situation where Hanks is out for bloody revenge, but this time with his son. So it's also sort of like a lone wolf and cub situation as well. And then we got, you know, them sort of robbing from the mob to flush them out. Uh, It's really cool because it takes place in the 30s and it's during the Depression. And uh, there's uh, lots of just great tension. It's directed by Sam Mendes. It looks beautiful and everyone's acting is really top-notch. There is a guy after Tom Hanks played by Jude Law, and he's a really creepy photographer slash hitman. Tom Hanks basically, you know, wipes everybody out at the end, kills Daniel Craig, him and his son escape to Perdition, where his his sister-in-law has a house, and they're presumably safe, but uh, in the end, Jude Law comes back and kills Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks' son, the young Michael Sullivan, pulls the gun on Jude Law and cannot pull the trigger but luckily hanks in his dying breath can pulls out a gun saves his young son young son goes on to never pick up a gun and presumably live a a good solid life and that is road to perdition in a nutshell but we will get into it and the one thing i want to point out is that montez our beautiful the young pope himself not looking like the young pope here he is he was made to look like a rat i think and uh he is for a beautiful man in Jude Law. Man, he is wildly unattractive in this movie. He is hashtag not my young pope. (laughs) Not at all. 
He's got a real James Cagney thing going in this one. <laughs> the thinning hair, the fingernails, the mannerisms, the scarred face by the end. Like, Jesus. I mean, who boy. You know, he is leaning into the hideous there. But let us first talk about the things that we like as opposed to the things that we don't like. What I don't like, Jude Law's appearance in this movie, which is surprising to say. But Kyle, you've been on mic for eight years or so to watch this movie. Maybe even more. <laughs> 10, 12 years. Who knows how long. What is your favorite part of Road to Perdition? What do you love about this movie? Oh, favorite part? Or just favorite moments or characters or scenes or whatever you want to say, however you want to answer the question. So first is just this cast, this stellar cast. Tom Hanks, you guys would know better than me. Who? But def- <laughs> For a second, you made me self-conscious and thought I said Tom Cruise. But Tom Hanks. Who? You- <laughs> like totally, like I think playing against type. So that's cool. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's not playing a real life person, which nowadays is tough to find. And... Paul Newman in, I believe, what is his last live-action theatrical film, and just one of the most tragic and tough and just so emotional, like, last lines of his, like, saying to Tom Hanks before he just puts a ridiculous amount of rounds of uh, Tommy gun into him. Tommy Hanks gun. Yeah, I honest to God forgot Daniel Craig was in this, but he's so good. Like, it's been a while since I've watched this movie. I've been so focused on trying to get Manzi to watch this. I I haven't watched it myself in a while. I mean, just let me see. Let me look at my notes. Well, while you do that, I do want to point out that, Mike, this checks off our Tom Tom Club Paul Newman checklist, where we now have had Paul Newman on both Tom Tom Clubs. And even in this movie, one one of the very first things he says, he's talking about hustling. And I was like, he knows better than anybody about hustling. That's right. Color of money. Absolutely. Absolutely. Him and Vincent, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this cast is stellar. It's too bad that uh, Jennifer Jason Lee doesn't last too long. And she also has maybe two lines before she gets gunned down. Like, she has almost nothing to say. I think everyone has two lines in this movie. <laughs> it's a very little dialogue movie. <laughs> yeah, before they get gunned down. Uh, Okay, so one of my favorite moments in this movie is Tom Hanks gets to play piano yet again with another old man. Oh, yeah. At the same time. Yeah, they play together. Yeah, very big. Mm Mm-hmm. At the same time, yeah, join piano sesh. And then I just love, I mean, I, I have never read the graphic novel, but I have to imagine like that shot between when the son is witnessing what ends up being like, you know, uh, Tom Hanks isn't meant to be like killing anybody, but when Daniel Craig kills the one guy and that shot between his legs from uh, Michael Jr.'s perspective, I just, the cinematography in this film is fantastic. And I think it won best cinematography. I think this was the perfect, I haven't read the graphic novel either, but like I could feel it, like I could feel feel watching like panels because I think this is the perfect director for this material and stuff and like with with Sam Mendes you know and this is only a second feature film right well I mean he had one with American Beauty was that his first movie and this was his second movie that was his that was his directorial like feature film directorial debut yeah and I guess this is where I met Daniel Craig because he'll direct Skyfall, which is one of the best looking Bond films. I mean, like he just has such a patience with the camera and it just sets the mood so perfectly that like I would assume they just follow the storyboards right from the page or something. Yeah, just the cinematography is fantastic. Like that introduction shot to Chicago is just so cool. It's just... It's like Metropolis. Like have you ever seen like the old Fritz Lang Metropolis movie? Mm-hmm. And this is like on... Uh, I don't want to mispronounce it. How did you guys pronounce it versus... Charlie's Theron, but we just watched the Theron, right? Yeah, because we messed it up because we're bad at things. It does okay. I'm, I just wanted to put on watch the Theron how I got emotional about Mighty Joe Young. This movie makes me emotional. <laughs> Much better movie. Forgot about that. I'm not comparing the two, but just the father-son relation, the tiger-cub relationship, the fact that he is able, like Michael Jr. can't shoot Jude Law, and also he doesn't want him to. He wants him to go to heaven, that conversation between Paul Newman. And as I said, I mean, just, I'm glad it's you. Like, it's just, it's such, I love this movie. Yeah, that shot at the piano when Hanks is sitting next to Paul Newman, I mean, that is so literal. I love it, you know, just, yeah, they even look like, almost like clones or something, like the older and younger version version of a person and there he's literally like the, his right hand at that moment you know and the, and that Ooh, scene also yeah. solidifies the relationship and dynamic between his actual son or all the sons there's so many father issues flying around this movie but <laughs> yeah. i mean you know daniel craig is just like insane in this movie and he's not really on screen that much but he's like the fucking joker or something like he's so psychotic in this that it's just yeah the acting is so top-notch so it sounds like Kyle's long-awaited suggestion paid off for you. So, Mike, what's your favorite part of this movie? What do you love about this movie? Oh, yeah. 
there's just so much. I don't know exactly what I could put my finger on. And I don't know if this counts. This is going to be weird. But like, I think my favorite thing is how like I've waited so long to watch this and it turned out to be like an awesome movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like I really did enjoy it. I had a great experience. Like I thought it was going to be way more depressing. I guess that's what I thought. You know, I didn't realize it was going to turn into like such a gangster film. I had just sort of heard that it was slow and kind of not boring, but like got a great pace. Yeah, like it really moves. Like the tone is great. It, with the kid involved, it, it manages to keep things light at times without being sort of comedic, you know? Like it just sort of strikes a great balance. Maybe just the whole way that it's like directed and comes together, just between it being a period piece, between Hanks working so well against type. Like at first I thought when he was holding a gun, I was like, I was like, uh oh. And I think at times this movie does go very far with his, you know, against his persona and stuff. But if you notice, they never show him in a shot actually kill anybody. It's all done sort of with clever editing and stuff. So like so you never get to actually see him shoot someone in frame uh, at the same time. But yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just gonna go ahead and say like I'm just really into the the way this was directed. Like everybody came together, the whole period the you know every everything just seemed to click cool well montez what about you is this a movie that you loved before and you wanted to watch again is this a movie that you've been meaning to watch because it is based i think on a graphic novel though it seems like the movie has eclipsed the novel in terms of popularity because like the only way that i know that and this might be a weird kind of thing is that if you search road to perdition on wikipedia this is what comes up like the disambiguation like drives you to the other thing you know what i mean like this is the more popular the more searched for thing so is this something that a movie that you had loved montez is this a movie that you wanted to see what's your relationship with it did you like it and what's your favorite part Yeah, so my relationship with this movie, it's so funny. So when I was younger, my mom actually put this in an Easter basket for me. And she mentioned to me recently, she doesn't know how my Easter baskets evolved into actually getting presents. And it's like, listen, I I didn't make these (laughs) baskets, okay? I just got the baskets. But this movie was in there, and I had never heard of it. So I'm looking at when this movie was released. I was probably 18 when I got this in my Easter basket. And I was like, okay, my mom probably gave this to me because she just wanted to watch it. And so like, I got this movie. So I have loved this movie for a long time. When I put it in today to rewatch it, as soon as, you know, I couldn't really remember a lot about it. And as soon as I heard the waves at the very beginning, the entire movie came back to me. And what I really like the most about this movie is, you know, somebody mentioned it before, there's not a lot of dialogue in the movie. So I think it's, there's a lot of facial expressions. And Hanks does such a great job of anytime the camera's on him, and he's not saying anything, you can just tell, you know, what he's feeling, what he's trying to express just by looking at him. So that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. And of course, Jude Law looking just completely disgusting. (laughs) You like that part of it. Yes, I do, because it shows, again, Jude Law is a beautiful man. It Mm. shows that he has the range to be an ugly man. (laughs) Very true. There's no greater range than that. (laughs) By the way, have you watched The New Pope yet or no? Um, I'm three episodes in, so I plan on catching up on that tomorrow. You got to keep going. Another beautiful man who gets to be beautiful in this is the Tooch, who's loose at one point. But Stanley Tucci (laughs) in this movie. Did you notice? Yeah, you know, all over Kyle's Foodie Films podcast episode from last week as this comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, for, for Big Night. Someone go catch him. He's he's really loose. It's a small role in this movie, but it's he's always a welcome addition to any uh, cast, I'd say. He's awesome. Oh, yeah, he's badass in this, yeah. Well, they had wanted to. I'd read, I'm sure, Kyle, you know this too, that they wanted to cast Al Capone, but I think Al Capone might have been in prison in real life at this point because he had gone away, I think, the previous fall or something, or it was around that time. I'm not sure if Capone is out or if he's in prison at this time, but they had considered casting him and they went not. So kind of having Tucci as, in a way, the big bad, even though he's not the big bad, but he kind of is, uh, it's pretty cool. I No, actually, I, I read that they... They shot with. Oh, um, they did. Yes, yes. That's, yeah, okay, and yeah. then and then the, that's why there's a special thanks to the actor at the end. Right. They shot a scene. It was Capone and Paul Newman in the scene that they shot. Cool. I feel like this. I'm becoming a broken record here with the Hanks movies, but like I like this movie. I didn't love this movie. This is the first time I've ever seen it. I think that my favorite part is the kind of the montage when the Michaels are on the road and they're getting going and there's like they're the Robin Banks and they're getting away. When it becomes a road movie, there's like a real energy here that I really like. But I feel like a lot of it leading up to that point, it just, it almost feels to me, and it, you know, I like this movie. I think this is good. I don't want to trash this movie, but it feels like to me, like, let's cast Tom Hanks against type and then slowly let his type bleed back into it. Like, that's just kind of what it feels like to me. It's like, let's see him kill people, but he's still the lovable, he's still America's dad. And I think you cast him in that way for that reason. 
it just felt like it was trying too hard early on in that regard. And I don't know how better to say that, but I feel like you cast Hanks because he's the last person you would think would shoot somebody in the face, which you're like, oh God, like what's he doing? And then eventually he becomes America's dad, you know, and he's like, he's finally a good father. I do have a question for all of you. And I don't know if I misheard it in this sort of, like, I feel like the movie spoils itself because in the opening voiceover, in the opening narration, we're hearing from the son. He's about, you know, like a lot of people had a lot of stories about Michael, blah, blah, blah. He's like, but I spent six weeks on the road with him in 1931. I know all about it. And I I wasn't sure what the relationship was between the characters. And so when we cut to Hanks getting undressed in his bedroom and taking the gun out and everything, I was like, is this another boarding situation? Thinking back to like Forrest Gump, where he's on the other other end of it, right? Like he's like where Elvis is boarding and he's like learning how to dance or whatever, right? And And I was like, is he a boarder? And then almost immediately they're like, come, you know, go get your dad for dinner or whatever. Something the next time I was like, oh, okay. And I'm like, wait a minute. He said he was with him for six weeks. So like I all movie long just assumed he was going to die. And is that intentional? Like, are you supposed to know that? Or am I reading too far into it? Or like, I feel like the movie kind of not, it's not what we always talk about Mike where it's like we jump in that we're in the middle and then we jump back and we get to the climax or whatever I feel like the opening narration which I guess is also kind of the end in a way right like it feels like oh like this I think I know what's going to happen and I was kind of bummed by that it's I think it's even encoded in the title like if you know that perdition equals hell then you realize that like this is a you know he's not going to survive this like this is a one-way trip and like I even assumed like oh you can't have Tom Hanks play this character and live like he can't go around shooting people you know and like killing Daniel Craig in the bathtub like defenseless and like have this character go on to live a happy life and like I think they want you to to maybe assume that at some point in the movie but ultimately i don't think that it's hiding that necessarily i think that like there's no real other outcome for this character personally and i think that's what one of the reasons hanks is such a strength in the role is because he fits that character so well like this is a guy that does not want to kill you know like this is a guy that has to kill to provide for his family and then when that's taken away sort of like all of this stuff that's been ingrained in him just like takes over and the rage and the, and the anger and the revenge and everything like that but like once he's sort of himself of all of it and he's at peace like you know he can't he can't have that like it has you know it doesn't it can't last for him so i don't know ultimately i did not feel that but i could understand you know i understand those feelings watching it and i will say that at the very end when like i I was wrapped up in the moment of it all that they get to the house right and they're there and it seems like they got away like i had completely forgotten that jude law was not taken care of like i was like oh they got the revenge they finally escaped and so when you hear the gunshot i was caught off guard and i think that was really effective in terms of how it was doing i just sort of i guess assumed they were going to have a happy ending and i guess in a way we kind of do because the sun gets away right like the sun doesn't have to kill anyone that he's still you know essentially going to heaven right like he's still like a good boy and i think the ending is effective there but i just when i think back to that opening i was just kind of like oh if it's it i guess you know to your point even the title mike like you know the scott Ackerman, like i don't even want to know the title of a movie it's kind of spoilers like this is kind of to that extent like it just it belies the end it's just i don't i was kind of like oh huh all right i'll compare it to two films that have commonalities to this one the first being saving private ryan and the fact that i think in the beginning it's kind of meant to trick us because it goes from the old man to like tom hanks's face if i'm remembering correctly so it's just like so like saving private ryan it's kind of like a little bit of a surprise at the end you're like oh it's matt damon and he's like standing in front of tom hanks's grave oh like not like it's you know sixth sense trying to trick you versus then also then let's say american beauty where in the beginning kevin spacey goes i was just killed or i'm killed you know whatever the line is you know like death of a salesman letting you know right away i'm gonna get killed so it's kind of this middle ground which i don't i don't mind i definitely think you have to be very much paying attention to the beginning and like kind of like deciding like oh okay that's like the way he phrases it like i just spent six weeks with my dad and just that like that kind of stuff like you know you, he, he could have said it like boy spending the past six weeks i'm not saying in the happy tone but like, <laughs> but like, he sure have been swell times yeah exactly but like oh the past the past six weeks i've really come to like learn about or understand my dad like the way he says it yeah is like a little bit that way but then i think the film does a good job like you said you forgot about jude law and then also like is jude law just totally acting on his own right now or is stanley 2g 
did he say like after giving you know tom hanks the location does he also go like go and finish like did he make even a conscious decision knowing that he's not calling off you know jude law's character but i point being there is that shock factor and just the fact like that clean white room and just the great like for the minimal dialogue the the audio in this film is fantastic just the no bullets while killing all newman's guys but then just the blasting of the bullets taking out newman like just very there's a lot of clear choices in this film and so it's the same thing i think with also what you were saying before as even hiring tom hanks like obviously you know like everything is a very specific decision so was it because it's against type maybe like i also like not hating on him at all but like tom hanks might be like the weakest thing about this film maybe like i don't like i I'm, all i'm saying is i guess i could see also other actors playing that role at the same time that you are supposed to have this guy that just you know murders people for money and does or does you know physical harm to people for money you need to have a little bit of like redemption and, and feel sorry for him and so i think also hanks can do that just by him being himself and because he's a fantastic actor so i will say that i think to that point and i don't this is not a, a, a slight against hanks but i think it's an issue that i'm having with a lot of these recent movies is that you kind of cast tom hanks because he's tom hanks and i feel you're unable to get away from that and i think we're running into issues where no matter like he's got great range but at the end of the day he's still tom hanks and that works for a lot of movies and i feel like when you're able to lose that like i think you know last episode mike we talked about with castaway like it was like oh god this is this is different like this is like he has stripped everything away like this is something different but i feel like in a lot of these recent movies that we've been covering he's still just kind of tom hanks and here you're like oh it's tom hanks killing people oh there's tom hanks there's a tom hanks i know and it's not a bad thing because there's a comfort to that and it allows you to either like in this movie play against type or develop a character deeper or whatever have a shortcut to establish character or whatever but i feel like there's something that it's not again it's not his fault because he is a good actor but it's you're trapped into like what people know about you like they like oh this is the kind of character you are the kind of stories that you tell keep doing that essentially yeah it's tough because you know you want people to like your main character and this guy is kind of irredeemable right like you know it's very hard to 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 want to like this guy but it makes it a hell of a lot easier if it's played by tom hanks and i think for me that's like basically what what i'm going yeah. And Kyle, to your point from before, the best cinematography, this this did win the Academy Award for Best Cinematography by Conrad Hall. It was actually a posthumous award. He passed away between the time that they made this film and the Oscars. It's also nominated. Paul Newman was nominated for a supporting role. It was nominated for Best Art Direction, Set Decoration, Sound, Sound Editing, and Original Score. So, you know, pretty decorated. Six nominations, one win. Pretty good showing at the 2003 Academy Awards. I heard that uh, Tom Hanks and the uh, cinematographer asked Sam Mendes to kind of like minimize the violence less bloody of a film because for as much shooting that there is i guess the bloodiest moments are like hanks at the end dylan baker seeing like that right yeah, it's uh, kind of like whenever two laws around like that's when the blood is there yeah yeah that's a good point one thing i will say the thing that i i think one of the things i like the least about this is that i think the end aside from the fact that i sort of i think the movie's beginning spoils the end not how but the what I think that the ending is kind of schmaltzy. I think if I was fully on board for the entire movie, I would have liked it more. But one of my least favorite parts is just the way that the voiceover comes in and he's just like, he was my father. And like, I like the score by Thomas Newman. And I think he scored like five or six Hanks movies. Like he's done a lot of Tom Hanks movies. He also did, he also did the Wally soundtrack, which I really like, Wally score. But I think there's something about the way it all comes together that in this movie that is about fathers and sons, that is emotional and it does have kind of resonance. It feels a little too much at the end. And I think because I was sort of a little bit ambivalent, a little bit on the fence for a lot of the movie, and I wound up liking it more than not liking it, I think that if I had been more in this movie's corner, I think it would have worked better, but I think the ending didn't quite work for me tonally, and I wonder if any of you who liked the movie seemingly much more than I did, if you feel that way, if the ending could have been different, or if it works completely for you guys. You mean when he goes back to the farmhouse with the two old people? Yeah, like the whole, like, final 10 or 15-ish minutes where it's not a lot of dialogue and a lot of, you know, just feelings. I don't really mind. I would have much rather preferred that he just drove off on his own. I feel like at that point, he didn't need anybody. Like, he was well beyond his years. Like, maybe he stayed at the beach. I thought for sure he was just going to stay at the beach. I didn't think we'd get that shot of him driving up to the farmhouse. But I think, yeah, it probably would have I, you know, if you noticed on Letterboxd, I gave this four and a half stars. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe it would have tipped it over the edge, right? Because like, that's just thematically something I think would have made a stronger point. Like, he doesn't need anybody else at that point. Like, he just had his dad and that was it. And now he's on his own. 
I mean, I really like the ending. Number one, we get Superman going to the farm to be raised by the Kents. <laughs> it's a very religious movie, you know? Like, we'll get into what I don't like about it. Something is something that plays into that. But yeah, I would have liked maybe more along the way so that that would have sort of popped a little bit better, right? Yeah, and then, and then just as far as, again, like, the moments that made me, like, emotional in this film, it's just, like, just the father-son relationship and just, again, him killing jude law so his son could get into heaven just because of that conversation that him and uh paul newman have earlier like in the film and so so and then michael jr says oh i lived a lifetime people thought i grew up on a farm i lived a lifetime before this farm but then you know he he gets to have a bit of a childhood again just with you know like some good people i guess we're just obviously left to assume the aunt is dead in a closet in that beach house somewhere people also just leave dead bodies everywhere in this film like of their loved ones like they don't it was the 30s them. man and I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's a depressing time. <laughs> no, I, I like in the last line of this film. I mean, it's fine for me because it's just it's a well, it's not an over the top movie by any means, but it's just yeah. There's no Sylvester Stallone's nowhere to be seen. Yeah, no, he's not. No arm wrestling, but it is melodramatic, even for you know a gangster film. Yeah, it's melodramatic. It comes from a graphic novel, and it's and it's an eleven year old expressing his thoughts at the end of a movie. So for him to say that, you know, he's my, you know, he's my father, he's my dad, you know, like I like that. And it's just like because I don't know, that's just as a son. I don't know. There's moments that I'm just like, you know, think of it's like, oh, that's my dad. No, that's nice because it kind of reminds you that he still is a kid. Like, yeah, you know, against my point where it's like, well, I feel like this guy is now you know forget it like he doesn't have, maybe he doesn't have a chance for childhood it's like no like he actually will have sort of a level of normalcy after this so Montez, what do you think about the ending does it work for you or do you think it could be a little bit different well you know if you look at it from a perspective of it's kind of like completing the for lack of a better word circle um <laughs> you know at the beginning you know tom hanks is and i don't know why i can't think of paul newman's character's name but essentially that's like his father figure and like he worked for him and he lived his life you know, working for him and doing things for him. And he essentially was his father figure. At the end of the movie, he goes back to the farm. You would assume that that old man then becomes his new father figure. So kind of starting a new cycle and maybe it's... Ah, just... Yeah, that's good too, yeah. And thinking, you know, he just spent all this time with his dad on the road. The dad just showed him that family's more important. You do anything to protect your family. And then he has no family. So he's going and he's creating his own family. So you would like to think that He's going to create his own family on the farm and, you know, he does everything that he has to for this new family. They took care of him and his dad during a time when they were both on the run and they both needed someone and they were not in a good place and they were going around killing everyone. So I like to think of it as a it coming full circle moment of him creating his own family and kind of doing the grown up thing of being responsible and kind of paying it back to the cute elderly couple on the farm. Hashtag family, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah, that elderly couple just really in the right place at the right time, right? They don't really do much. I mean, they're they're helpful and they're beneficial, but like they get a payday. Yeah. Yeah, then we see them painting the house at the end of the movie, so yeah. a little fixer-upper. Yeah. This old house. Love it. Yep. Yeah. Best characters in the movie. <laughs> what else about this movie are you guys not crazy about? Kyle, if you had to pick something that didn't really work for you that we haven't talked about yet, is there a least favorite part or something you would change? I know you said that Hanks is not necessarily the strongest part, that it is bad, but what about this movie do you think you would change or alter if you could fix something or adjust something? Um, At the beginning of this film, it's Tyler, oh God, how you pronounce his last name, Hochlin? The kid, right? Yeah, Michael. Yeah, mm -hmm. like I, I haven't watched in a while, but I th felt like I was feeling similar thoughts as last as the last time I watched it. I'm like, oh, is he is he gonna be? Is he good? Like he's kind of iffy in the beginning, but I think he ends up doing a good job. You know, as an actor and everything like that, and the character. So I mean, the, you know, there was like me question moments. Um, I don't know. I tr I really I I love this movie. You actually kind of in, you reminded me of something, and I don't know. Maybe just highlighting the, the kid actors for a second, but this is giving me a lot of parallel thoughts or a lot of comparison similarities to the new HBO series, The Plot Against America. And I don't know if any of you are watching that. I just watched the first episode right before this. It is the new miniseries by David Simon, who made The Wire, and it's based on a Philip Roth novel, and it's positioning an alternate reality where Charles Lindbergh runs for president and wins and becomes president. And it's set in 1940, I think, 4041, I think 40. It's the 1940 election, yeah. And there's a family at its core, and there's two young boys in there. And I was, feel like with that on the brinks, I spent a lot of time thinking about that because there's the two episodes so far, and I'm really enjoying it. And I feel like this 
just the like the actual core family structure, not anything else really about it at all, but back, you know, the 30s and 40s, the core structure of the two boys. Like, I kind of like the dynamic of the two boys in the plot against America. And I feel like, I mean, obviously the kid is the inciting incident here that he gets killed, but I feel like I was hoping to flirt a little bit more in terms of that family dynamic. Like, we have such a family built up, and I know that's the whole, like, what this movie is about, like, getting vengeance for that. But I feel like just coincidentally and not to this movie's discredit at all just bad timing and when i watched it i feel like the dynamics like what i'm seeing on the plot against america in a similar setting in a similar kind of in certain things but not at all in different things it, it wasn't a positive comparison in a weird way i mean you're getting to watch i mean so you've two first episodes of a, of a of a mini series and like you said the boy and the mom dying is the inciting incident but yeah like i mean i think that there's good pacing to this film and i love a film nowadays that can come in under well i mean i know this is 2002 but just because there's so many long movies these days a film that can come in under uh, two hours and so i appreciate that but at the same time like i wouldn't disagree that it might have been a bit more helpful and you do have i mean i don't know about the youngest actor or the you know the younger brother but in jennifer jason lee a strong actor so definitely could have helped to have them in a bit more yeah, it's hard to say where you squeeze them in, you know, because there's yeah. a lot to do here and everything. I think it, I think it's good. I would have liked an extra scene, maybe, right? Like having them having like a picnic, just seeing the idyllic life of them. But Joey, you know what vibes I was getting early on? It's What's a that? depression. We have these two brothers. That Steven Soderbergh movie with uh, with Adrian Brody when they were like stuck in a hotel during oh, the depression. Oh yeah, King of the Hill. King of the Hill, yeah. That and this bird's kid, real dish. <laughs> this kid even kind of reminded me of the main kid in that. So my mind went there. I was just sort of like grasping for Depression-era movies made with modern actors kind of thing going on and everything. But like I totally, you know, the, the, the stuff you're talking about, like I definitely felt that as well. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I also do want to say, Kyle, to your point about it being shorter movie i was in my head i guess just because we've had so many long hanks movies i was like oh this can be like a 220 230 240 movie and it's like an hour 56 i was like oh huh it's refreshing look yeah. at him look at him <laughs> doing that thing that he does montez what about you is there something about this movie that you didn't like anything you would adjust your least favorite part of road to perdition um i think my least favorite part is just the complete lack of emotion from the kid playing you know sullivan jr you know when the mom when he finds the mom and the little brother dead there's like a complete lack of emotion there of what's happening and you know you get that great scene of off camera of tom hanks just like wailing in the background and the kid's just sitting there and and maybe it's just because he's like in complete shock but i feel like they never really get back to that there's a lack of processing what's happening to him and he's kind of just like, oh, me and my dad are going to go rob banks. And like, this is fun. And like, I think that part kind of bothered me a little bit because it's like, I'm pretty sure if that was me and like, if I was in this situation, like, I don't know that I'd be like really excited and think everything was all fun and games, like watch somebody get murdered, walk in on my mom and little brother being murdered. My dad and I are going on a murdering spree. <laughs> We're going to rob a lot of banks. But like, this is super fun, though. <laughs> Yeah, that didn't occur to me. Like, he needed that one scene where he just loses it and starts crying, right? And, and yeah. becomes a little boy and just it all, yeah, flows out of him. But that never shows up. I mean, I don't know. For me, it's a testament to the movie that it kind of got through without that. And I didn't even notice that. But, you know, I'm sure upon rewatching it, I'm going to miss that. You know, that's something I think would be stronger yeah, if it was in there. Yeah, I don't mind his initial reaction. He just seems like really in shock. But yeah, he doesn't have that breakdown moment. Like you almost think it's coming when he's asking his dad, oh, if he loved his one brother more than him or why do you treat him differently? But he's just a very, I mean, you know, at the same time, they're they're Irish American. I can say that as a, as a part Irish American, we internalize everything. And that's why I drink a lot and are sad and write sad songs. Well, so. I mean, but no, but there is like the moment when his, when Hanks gets shot in the arm and he's running to the farmhouse like he's wailing about yeah, that, yeah. right and he's like my dad's shot he's gonna die like you know but that's not the rest of it coming out so right it is a little yeah odd there he's just sleeping in the car a lot mostly and actually you saying you know hearing hanks just in the background wailing upstairs and just the shot being on the sun reminded me that i think it actually is also helpful the little dialogue that there is in the film helps with hanks playing against type because in that moment like oh oh god like it just sounded to me like you know at this point just him playing 
Woody four times in my mind, like him going, like, oh God, I could just, I'm imagining him going like, come on, Buzz, like, you know, just hearing him freak out like that, just has, he just had such an iconic voice at this point that I think actually, yeah, minimal dialogue helps the uh, against type. Yeah, I can see that. Let's see if there's anything else. I got something. Go for it. There's something I wanted to bring up. There's something I was kind of expecting from this movie that I didn't get, believe it or not, that I thought was going to be, I mean, it's there, but I thought it was going to be way more in my face. Sort of like, I think that movie Angel Heart with Mickey Rourke or something. But like, I thought they were really going to play up like the religious sort of symbolism a lot more like it's here don't get me wrong like they go to chicago and it's clearly like hell uh you know stanley tucci's like the devil and you know there's things there's they drive the crossroads and all that stuff but you know i'm getting more out of westworld this season of two episodes than i am out of this movie and it kind of bugged me a little bit i was like i needed not needed but i would have liked yeah just more of that kind of stuff, you know, like to where the point where like John Brooks could have watched this movie and given me like an hour and a half lecture on it or something, you know, where I, I don't think he couldn't at this point, but I think it would have, you know, it could have been more fun in that direction. So it doesn't necessarily lose anything for me, but man, if, if they just punched that up a little bit more, it would have just like popped for me. Manzi, that's saved for the Italian mafia movies. <laughs> 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 I do renounce him. Uh, speaking of John Brooks, he has a new podcast on our podcast network that launched this week. I don't even know if you know that, Mike, but there's a new podcast that launched this week, Hard to Believe, with John Brooks, all about religion and theology in movies and TV shows. I do like that Tom Hanks is enough of a gentleman in this movie that he asks to be frisked. He's like, hey, you might want to frisk me. Like, I have a gun. Like, I like that element of it. That's when he is about to get killed for the first time. I also really, really like the line that... Tucci says to Daniel Craig, you're a big baby who doesn't know his thumb from his dick. I was like, that's incredible. That's a great line. <laughs> Tucci is loose. The Tucci is loose. And there was another line I think I liked. Was there or was there not? Not as good as that one. I mean, that's that's just a ter- tremendous one. There's something along the lines, not the exact thing, but before the devil knows you're dead, which is a nice little shout out uh, or just a reminder. Oh, yeah, the toast, right. Yeah, exactly, of the Philip Seymour Hoffman film, a great film, the last Sidney Lumet-directed film. And that was another weird coincidence is that I just watched, before I watched this movie, I watched Big Time Adolescence, which is the Pete Davidson movie on Hulu, and they referenced that saying, before the devil knows you're dead. And then like yeah. two hours later, I'm watching, I'm like, where, like, that's not a thing that people say, really. All you think of is the Hoffman movie and Marissa Tomei. And like now two movies back to back, I'm hearing the same. I'm like, what is how? Like, there's weird synergy going on. If, you're, if your mind is in tune with the universe, cue Marianne Williamson. If you love one another, things will work out. Joey, my favorite line from this movie was, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Oh, says those two boys from the World War II movie from USS Indianapolis. Um, oh, the other line is not this, but uh, always trust a bank manager. I really liked yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a Hanks. It's not as good as the other one. The you don't know your thumb from your dick, but oh boy. You know what I thought was cool? I love that this movie took. I didn't realize it was going to be this far back, like 1931 and stuff. But I love the lack of tech in mm-hmm. general. Mm-hmm. That you know, just what you can get away with and shit. Oh yeah. Jude Law is like at the forefront of technology being a photographer because he had like the sense to tell the operator that he got disconnected from the line. You know, that's like Star 69ing back in the day or, or you know, going through someone's texts. You know, like I just thought that was great. That was nice. It was noticeable and it was like a fun addition to like sort of follow along in that mentality. I have three more points. There's one I want to discuss. And there's the scene at the diner, which I don't think we've talked about yet, where Hank's and Jude Law are having their face off, take his face off. And it's incredible. Like that is a great scene. And I feel like that's in the part of the movie where like things are clicking for me and they're on the road and the kid's not there, the kid's outside, but there's a tension there. And I feel like it's kind of the beginning of Haywire where she and Shannon Tatum beat the shit out of each other in the diner. Like there's so many like diner confrontations or diner almost near confrontations, stuff in Baby Driver. And there's another movie that I can't pull right now, but like, I feel like there's a tension there. Also stay in the booth, right? From Night and Day, which we recently did. That's right. A lot yeah. of diners coming up recently, but that scene is just incredible. Tom Hanks, apparently the beat of sweat was real sweat. I don't know that he can sweat on command. I guess that's why he's our greatest actor. But that scene, can we talk about that scene? Because that is just incredible, the back and forth between the two of them, because like they both know what the other is really saying, but it's so coded and so 
hidden and man oh man let's just talk about that i mean this is i think goes back to something montez brought up earlier with just the lack of dialogue and i think this is one of the most talky scenes in the whole movie i think jude law has the most lines in the movie but you can see it and feel it on hanks's face immediately like he's you know he he knows exactly what situation you know just walked in right i mean he doesn't know everything about it but like he understands like this guy's here for him and that he's got to get out of there and the sort of tit for tat their little sort of like fucking meet cute play shit like it's amazing it's inc- it's like two masters or something like that and then the copying there and hanks with the flask and it being prohibition or i'm assuming it's prohibition right like that's yeah. what that's what's yeah. going on with this whole mob situation and everything so just the bond that they form i mean it's just great like it's uh, it reminds me of like the respect that like i guess hitmen or, or criminals had for each other sort of like in that baby driver way right where it's just like just you know a mutual respect because we're in the business together but like i'm not gonna think twice about murdering you either like it's so complex but i love this scene too yeah i think there's a lot of great character introductions in this film and not that this scene is a character introduction but it's the scene it's the first scene that i feel like we get to spend a lot of time with jude law and really get to take in the hair and makeup that makes him into this grotesque rat-like creature and like his fingernails and his hairline and his teeth in particular like it's a you know since it's like a well-lit scene versus that other one where he's taking the pictures like it's really focused on all that stuff which is also from the perspective of michael senior and yeah just them like assessing one another obviously like jude law knows right away you know that that's the guy but just then tom hanks like figuring out like oh okay and just him learning little information where he can like asking like oh is what that's a camera what are you doing with your camera and just all that kind of stuff yeah just a really great tense scene while it might not be a diner it reminded me of uh the boogie nights donut scene and don Cheadle like oh yeah another violent famous food scene Mon, is there anything else that you want to talk about? I have two little bits of trivia that I want to point out. But before we get there, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything about this movie that you either love or hate or somewhere in between? It doesn't have to be extreme one way or the other. Anything else we want to talk about before we uh, play a couple games? No, I mean, I think this is just overall, obviously, most of the movies that I pick, I really like them. Um, aside from, you know, some Keanu duds back then in the day. But I think in the diner scene, with what's really cool is you're seeing two sides of two different hitmen. You're seeing Jude Law, who's like super extroverted about it and super forward with yeah i take pictures of dead bodies like nobody likes to do that and you have tom hanks who's very stoic and just very reserved and he's reserved and stoic the whole movie and jude law is kind of just like out there and in your face about it which i thought was pretty cool to see the two sides of that and other than that i really like this movie um like i said when as soon as the waves start at the very beginning the movie comes back for me just because it's something that i don't think about often but you know as soon as it starts it's something that comes back to me unlike a movie that I think about all the time obviously my favorite movie of all time things that stick in your mind and movies that you can recall and you never forget about this is something that I feel like I can forget about but as soon as I start watching it again I'm instantly sucked back into it your favorite movie of all time which we have talked about recently not recently but recently legend yeah legend Kyle, anything else to say before we play a couple games? I'd have to agree with that assessment of like, you know, I haven't watched in a while, but as soon as I start watching it, I'm like, yeah, this is a good movie. And clearly I was recommending it for a very long (laughs) time. (laughs) And then even like, I mean, how long ago did you guys decide on like Hanks for the Memories? Oh, we started this in last January. So yes, like a year and a half ago, more than that, like maybe, you know, almost two years ago, probably. Yeah, exactly. So it's been even then two years. And at, at that point, Manzi goes, well, I guess I'll just wait now. <laughs> I watch it. Like, no, you can watch it more than It's good. I just like my food recommendations. And also that's not saying that I have the best taste, but my recommendations, I think are usually very good because i heard you say this on a podcast episode recently yeah because i because also then i know you know i mean i on the podcast i have the the cockiness of saying i have the best taste and everything like that but as far as then my recommend i'm saying recommendations i also think i know the people that i'm recommending too well and so i'm not going to steer you in the wrong direction correct me if i'm wrong manzi but i think this is a you know this would be be landed with you yeah yeah absolutely yeah and I'm, i'm i'm a little mad at myself for not having watched it way earlier especially like when i was doing 
doing a whole run of like movies that actually were made during the third, like gangster films from the thirties and forties and stuff. Yeah, there's like multiple that. times that I'm like, watch this. Like specifically <laughs> why I watch this. So just let me have full reign of your life and you know. <laughs> just set my schedule as far exactly. as I'm seeing for yeah. the next, you know, I don't know, two months. That'll be good. Yeah. Mike, any other thoughts? You know, it's way less depressing than I than I thought it was going to be. Like this is this is really good. This is um, really sort of even film, I would say. You know, like it it covers a lot of emotional tones and you know peaks and valleys and stuff. And like, yeah, man, this is one hell of a solid graphic novel adaptation gangster film. You know, depression era gangster film, Hanks against type. Yeah, it definitely could have gone in a very bad direction. And I think, yeah, this was a good idea and I really liked it. So recommended. Cool. And I'm going to say a hell of a sophomore film. I'm just looking at Sam Mendes right now. So yeah, he had a TV movie in 1993, but then it's American Beauty, Road to Perdition, Jarhead, Revolutionary Road. Great director. Couple of Bond movies, 1917. Guys, okay. guys, guys, pretty good filmmaker. The other things I want to say, someone thought there was a rumor going on that this was a remake. Okay, so actually, this is a two part thing, and I'm not sure which is true because they sort of directly betray one another. There's a bit of trivia on IMDb that this is a remake of one of the Lone Wolf and Cub stories, which they have said it's not, but the guy who wrote the graphic novel says the graphic novel is an overall reference to allusion to like an American version of Lone Wolf and Cub, which people might know, I guess, more readily because Shogun Assassin, which is the Americanized recut or bastardization or whatever of the first two or three movies in that series, is what they watch at the end of Kill Bill 2. So that's cool i think this is being readapted now as the mandalorian i was just gonna say like it's a bit more in our lexicon as well now for other people too because there was a lot of comparisons to that the second episode of the mandalorian yeah Yeah. and the most important trivia bit and this is almost specifically and exclusively for mr mike manzi so perdition is this exclusive it's exclusive uh-oh. Perdition is a word for extinction or damnation, which we know, which we sort of talked about. It's from the French word perdu, P-E-R-D-U, meaning lost. No. Oh, my God. You know how close that is to pardu, pardu? A, holy, a man, holy man, all the way back from Mazes and Monsters. I wonder if that was name was given because it's similar to perdu, meaning lost or damn, like all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, because that character is totally lost, yeah, especially man. by the end of that movie. Oof. So I've seen this, I was like, oh my god, like if, if it wasn't for you, I almost probably would have completely <laughs> forgotten about Pardue Holy Man. But he has stuck in your brain in a way that few things have, and I will never forget Pardue, or now Purdue, meaning lost. So I love lost chicken. Oh yeah, Purdue chicken too. Well it's spelled differently. There's no there's no second E here, but yes. So I have the low hanging fruit chick, I'm sorry. Just yeah. a happy coincidence on that yeah. end. Yeah. Also, speaking of Westworld, I forgot that the guy who was in season two of Westworld, who's now back in season three, the one with Maeve, is Paolo from Nikki and Paolo from Expose, the greatest episode of Lost ever made. Also, the guy who was introduced in season three, episode two, is the thief from Ocean's 12. So another Soderbergh episode shout out from me. There we go. Okay. The other Tom, if Tom Cruise were casting the role of Michael Sr., do you think he would do it? Do you think he could play it? Or if not, is there another character in this movie that he could play? I feel like this is, like, almost literally every character in this movie is so firmly in Tom Cruise's wheelhouse. Like, I think that he could probably play anyone. I think he could play the Michael Sr. part. Should he Eddie Murphy this? Like, like the clumps? Absolutely. <laughs> I think because I think he could play the Jude Law part. I think he could play the Stanley Tucci part. I think he could play the Tom Hanks part. I think he could play just about everything. The Daniel Craig part, probably, you know, what do you guys think? Do you think he could play the Tom Hanks? Is there a better fit? Do we want to clumps it up? Like, what, what What are you thinking? Yeah, I I don't see him in the Michael Sr. role. I, I He just doesn't have any period. Pe- I know he's in that, like, that Irish movie, right? Far and away. Don't blast me. It's a great movie. Like great movie. Last Samurai. Last Samurai, another great movie. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just don't see him like fitting into the Tom Hanks role. I could see him playing either, you know, I don't think he would take the Daniel Craig role because that's kind of a small role, but I could, I could see him doing the Jew. I mean, I could see him doing both roles in the sense of like, playing those characters but yeah i'd I'd see him in the jude law role and i mean he definitely i also feel like then there would be a lot more running in this movie Um, sure (laughs) i mean they're on the run literally the entire time so and i i know i said it before as far as like i mean i think you know other people could have played the michael senior part i think tom hanks is a better choice than tom cruise okay montez what about you what do you think i can see tom cruise in the daniel craig role i cannot see cruise 
uh, swapping with Hanks because I just don't see Cruz as a dad. Cruz has been a dad recently, a little bit, right? Or no? Or am I making that up? Well, Jerry Maguire, he sort of becomes stepdad. War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds. He was a dad. Yeah, War of the Worlds. He's making peanut butter sandwiches, throwing them against windows. He was not a great dad, but you know. He's not a great dad. Yeah, I just can't. I, I, for some reason, I, I know he's a dad in real life. I just can't see him as a dad. I hear you. I like. I think it would be interesting to see if he could be this reserved. Like Hanks is doing it, sort of like second nature, whereas just like resting Hanks' face for a lot of this is like working for me most of the time, and then like he sort of snaps into it. I would like to see Tom Cruise try and be this sort of quiet and timed and sort of mannered and all that kind of thing because i think most of his strengths is how sort of expressive and wild he can be most of the time and i love that about it and like that's why i think i would much rather see him play the jude law character because i think he could just take that if there's another step to take that character i think he would find it you know i think there's just some kind of thing in him that would bring that out more that we've seen in other movies that i've seen than in other jude law performances this to me is just like where did jude law come out with this but i was i would be like oh I could I know where Tom Cruise found this you know that kind of thing and I I don't know that's where I'm coming down on it the only reason I'd want Tom Cruise in the Tom Hanks role is for the cool color of money reunion between mm. him and Paul Newman yeah that would be that would be cool yeah. but yeah now a very important question does and I, I think the answer well I don't remember how we asked the question I think the answer is no he doesn't stay but basically is Tom Hanks in this movie still America's dad is he still good or does he do anything in this movie because I feel like that's kind of in a way the point of the movie the point of the casting right like it starts out like no he's not but then by the end yes he is so I think the answer is yes but what do you guys think yes totally yes between yeah by the end and just like the moments of even like when he yells at him after the diner and like you listen to me from now on and that kind of stuff but then once you even get then to like the driving and everything like that i think it's and then like the bonding between or even the the um wife from the farm pointing out that he like the, the son looks up to him like between all those moments yeah he's 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 america's dad yeah it hit me when he's on the mend and they're at the farm and he's talking to his son and then the lady and and that that's when it really hit me where i was like oh yeah like this movie got me to like this psycho <laughs> like it kind of felt a little uneasy at a moment but then i realized like no like he is saving his soul like in this moment and you know again like they did something that i could see why he is acting this way right like i mentioned john wick earlier and that was just not just but that was a dog and his wife this is like a wife and his kid the dog of humans yeah you know kids that's a great way of putting it. or just the human the human version of puppies i think is better <laughs> But, like, character-wise, yeah, like, I think by the end, you know, he makes it. Like, he has saved his soul. He, Or at least he has saved his son's soul. I'll put it that way, right? Yeah, like, he's yeah. damned to hell, but he has saved his son. So, like, in that way, you know, he is still the dad. Very well said. All right, the final thing we have to do is the Woody's, the Tom Hanks Awards, the best and the worst of what Tom Hanks' filmography has to offer. I don't think this, but I'm not going to be able to talk you guys out of it. I'm going to nominate it for best film. We're going to have to figure out the list eventually anyway, but I'm going to put there for best film. I will say best role. I think Michael Sullivan is probably one of Tom Hanks' best roles. Definitely one of his most interesting, given how far he strays from it. Best ensemble? I think yes, because yeah. everyone yeah, here yeah. is great. I think this also is going to go later when we have best non-Hanks actor, male or female. I don't know that there's a single... I mean, Jude Law is close, but Jude Law is probably only... He's only in the back half of the movie, and even that, like, he goes away for big stretches. Like, I don't know that he necessarily right, qualifies, right. but I think in terms of the ensemble, everybody here is, like, nailing what they're doing. Yeah, it would be weird. Like, as far as screen time, you'd be like, well, is the kid good enough to nominate? And Paul Newman. He's not in that much, though. I don't have to compare everything to everything, but, like, is Paul Newman in this movie as good, for instance, as Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear in four movies, right? Or as good as Simon Pegg in, like, five Mission Impossible movies? Best fight. Is there a fight that Hanks has that we want to nominate for best fight? No fist fights. Yeah. yeah. He, he talks with the... There's not even like I mean there's a gunfight I guess technically in the Dylan Baker hotel room scene yeah right okay yeah 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 yes for I sure. love that gunfight it that is like pure Bond because the way he uses the safe to shield himself and everything and it's and um, then even like him becoming like a bombed villain with the scars on the face and everything yep. yeah 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 good call yeah best dance scene I don't think he dances 
with his fingers on the ivories. Oh boy, best party scene. No, there is a funeral that he has, even not being not being able to attend your wife's funeral is devastating. And then him like almost crying on the phone, hearing talking to his sister in law about the the funeral. Best Hank's outfit wardrobe. His his mustache is weird. Yeah, he's got kind of a John Waters mustache going on. I, well, it's like it's the Paul Newman thing. I think I think they might have just done that to be like, how could we make them feel more similar? And I think what's even weirder, though, is his sort of five o'clock shadow <laughs> in the movie looks weird. But I don't think there's anything remarkable about it. like his getup. He just looks like a gangster. He's got the hat and the trench coat. He's kind of made up to be unremarkable. Sure. Right? That's fine. Yeah. Best death. Yes. Gunned down in perdition. Yeah. Uh, best line. Is there a line he says? I mean, I love that one thing Stanley Tucci says, but that's not what this category is. Is there a line that Tom Hanks says or a freak out that Tom Hanks has? Anything dialogue wise that we want to nominate for either of these? I don't know that I have one. Always Trust a Banker is good, but it's not great. Yeah, I mean, as far as Hanks, I was going to say you pointed out that one. I love the, as far as like a last line of somebody, I'm glad it's you, but I know that's not Hanks. So I also think that, you know, to the point that you were making earlier, Kyle, this movie is not about the dialogue. This is about everything else, kind of, that there's not that much dialogue being spoken in this movie. So there, it kind of makes sense that it shouldn't be nominated here. It's a good point. That soundtrack theme score, I'm going to say no just because it didn't work for me. I think the schmaltziness at the end just put it over the top. I think it wasn't Oscar nominated. I'm not going to take that away from it. But I recognize this from a lot of stuff. I think this this particular score gets used maybe in trailers often or okay. did at one point. But it also reminded me a lot of the Green Mile score. Yeah. It just did not feel authentic. And I was like, man, I really wish it had more of a theme to it. Best or worst Hank's love story? I'm going to say no, because Jennifer Jason Lee gets gunned down very early in this movie, and they basically don't talk to each other for literally or metaphorically don't talk to each other for most of the movie. And then best non-Hank's actor, male or female? We talked about that earlier. I don't think so, right? No? No. I mean, I think it comes down to the kid, and unfortunately, like, he's just not center stage even in his own storyline right like it's all the it's all the little not cameos but all the small roles are really good they're just small roles so like i don't feel like anyone is truly like a co-star necessarily yeah i I mean you know how i feel about paul newman i think he just brings yes i mean in the comparison if you want to do it to like people having multiple roles and you know a bunch of movies and stuff like that but just i don't know he just the fact i mean he's what i think like six years away from you know him pa- like passing away just like just the experience of just like his life not even as an actor at this point i don't know it's just i think pouring out in this character like him yelling that actually one of my favorite scenes to go back to that early question of just him you know saying like the apology is not good enough and he's just the way he's slamming on the table that scene like the father-son relationships in this movie but that scene just like no not good enough and uh, it's so good so uh, I, w- I would say just in once this is all said and done, once you cover the last film, just think about Paul. I'll put him on the list. I'll put him on the list. You made a great argument there, sir. Thank you. The court recognizes Kyle. <laughs> Six nominations, best film, best role, best ensemble, best fight, best death, and best non-Hanks actor male. Well, Mike, next week on our Cruise Club podcast. We are heading to Broadway. I don't know where this movie takes place. It's the only Tom Cruise movie that I have not seen yet. We are going to talk about Rock of Ages. Yeah, I've not seen it either. Oh, man. Weirdly excited for. And then in two weeks here, we have one of my absolute favorite Tom Hanks movies, a movie that I've only seen once, but I cannot wait to watch again. Cash Me Outside, if you can. Catch Me If You Can. (laughs) Cash Me Outside, how about that? That, that's a now that's a great movie and that's uh that, that's another dreamworks uh t- you know movie yeah that's our right that's our pal stevie spielberg did we say that this was the college you mentioned that this was supposed to be a steven spielberg movie but uh he was just too busy i did not mention that no so, so this is this is one that i guess he had been circling for a while or had on his desk or whatever he never had the opportunity to make this movie and so i guess your sam mendes like i'll do it i think it would have gotten i think we would have had leaned way further into the child kind of stuff but i guess this is his, his bag like it's a lot of father issues it's in it's in his wheelhouse yeah exactly yeah hmm. All right. Well, he did work with Jude Law eventually, sexy Jude Law, no less, in AI, where you get like very dashing young Pope. That was before this, wasn't it? Okay. So if you're looking for sexy Pope, look no further. Cool. Well, Montez, thank you so much for joining us. Like I said, you'll be back many, many times because we have many more movies to talk about that are based on books. But thank you for joining us this evening. Yes. Yes. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. 
Glad to be back. Thank you. Always great to have you. And Kyle, thank you so much for being here. You have a weekly podcast now, Foodie Films. Uh, what was the episode that just came out? So this comes out next Friday. So this week you have Big Night with you and Brian Late Night Rodriguez. But what episode comes out next week, which is the one, the most recent episode released as this comes out? Yes. Yeah, so that'll be I got it right in front of me. It is with Jeremy Jacobowitz, who is a uh, very big food influencer on Instagram, has a bunch of his own little shows and stuff like that. He's called uh, it's Brunch Boys. So I'm trying to go back and forth now between the first cut episodes where I talk with people in the food industry and then these the movies. And like you said, just did Big Night with Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub. Talked that with Brian Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a, that's a great movie. So if you're in the mood for watching, uh, you know, I think everyone's watching a lot of stuff these days. So uh, check out Big Night because it's available on Amazon Prime. Who could have known, who could have foreseen that your podcast recording would have been the go-to, the must-attend networking event of the year now that we're not allowed to go anywhere? We don't have any other event. Like, there's nothing else going on. Like, the last must-attend event of the year was your live podcast recording. Yes, yes, yes. And then which went over, that that episode will be coming out in a while. I know Brian's releasing his soon since that was a... Yeah, that came out last Friday, as Fridays are for fun. Yes. So, uh, yeah, the Yonkers Brewery, that was really cool. Thank you for coming out and supporting Sure. That was that was a fun event. Hopefully get to do some of those in the future whenever we are back to some kind of normalcy. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, today Brian is breaking off another hundo, Mike, with uh, episode 101. I don't know what it is. Who knows? But he's breaking off another hundo today because so I'll go check out High School Slumber Party and Foodie Films, P.S. I Love Hoffman, and all 27 shows now on the Cage Club Podcast. Or you can find them all at cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Come back next week on our Cruise Club feed, separate feed, separate podcast for Rock of Ages. Last week we talked about Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Maybe Tom Cruise's best movie? I don't know. It's incredible. I might watch it again. We did that so long ago, Mike, and I'm like, oh, I gotta watch Ghost Protocol again because boy, oh boy, is that a good movie. That's the Brad Bird one. So good. And then come back in two weeks for Catch Me If You Can, one of Tom Hanks. Like, we are now, you know, this is still in the golden mile for Tom Hanks, but man, there's been some good things recently between all the things we're talking about. So go check out all these things at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Jessica Collins and Kyle Reinfried. We'll see you next time right here on Hanks for the Memories. Should I? It's a good idea.